good to be here. So, let me ask you all a question. How many of you have heard of Payless Shoes? You all know Payless Shoe Store? Okay, that's good. So Payless Shoe Store is a shoe store that sells inexpensive shoes. Now, they pride themselves on having shoes that don't cost a whole lot of money, but they pride themselves that they're good quality and they're pretty fashionable. The problem is most people don't think they're that good of quality. So in fact, in 2018, Payless was running into this problem where their sales were decreasing because people viewed their shoes as inferior to other shoes. So they figured out, like, they tried to figure out, like, what are we going to do to get people to realize that our shoes are good quality and they're a good value for the money? So they came up with this uh, marketing technique. Some people call it an experiment. Some people call it a prank. What they did was they bought or they, uh, they leased out a, a storefront in the fashion district of Los Angeles. They rented out this store and they turned it into a beautiful boutique. It looked like a store that would sell some of the highest brands in the United States. And they decked out this store to be incredibly beautiful. They sent out invitations to the top fashion influencers throughout Los Angeles. And they told them that there was a brand new Italian shoe designer that was going to design shoes for them by the name of Bruno Palassi. P-A-L-L-E-S-S-I. So all these influencers in Hollywood were very excited because Palasi was opening a store in downtown L.A. So they had a big grand opening and they had a website. They, had a, they did everything. The best part of it all is they videotaped most of it. These influencers came into the store and they looked at the shoes and some of them were like, these are stunning shoes. They are beautiful. There's one influencer was holding up a pair. Oh, I forgot to tell you. All the shoes in the store were Payless shoes. All the store, shoes in the store were Payless shoes. So they had a design or a, an influencer was holding up a $24.95 sneaker from Payless. And he was commenting on the beautiful leather and the quality of the stitching. He paid $645 for that shoe in the Palasi store. All these other influencers were spending money on these shoes. There was, the average shoe in Palasi was marked up 1,800%. Within a few hours, they were selling more shoes out of Palasi than Payless makes in a day or in a week. Then when it was all over, they called all the influencers and said, by the way, we owe you a refund. Your shoe wasn't $695, it was $19.25. It was quite the experiment, and they learned a lot that day. And one of the biggest things that they learned is that people have a hard time judging the value of something. That most people don't know the value of something. In fact, a lot of people, don't, a lot of people do not see the value of something if it's not in a nice environment. And people are willing to pay more for a product if it's a nice environment, and they won't pay very much if it's not in a nice environment. And unfortunately, I think we do the same thing with people. I think a lot of times we do not value people who do not appear successful or they do not appear to have things going well for them. A lot of times we come up with various standards to judge people that have nothing to do with their value or their worth. It's quite common that we judge people based on their finances or their jobs or their marriage status 
or the possessions that they have or their orientation or we judge people they're married or they're single it's kind of a big problem see christ has called us to live in christian community he's called us to practice christian community it's part of our spiritual formation but it's hard to live in community if you do not love people and you don't love them well how we treat other people is very important to god but i don't want to talk about that today instead i want to talk about what i think is a bigger problem and what i think is a bigger problem is how we treat ourselves i think so often we treat ourselves like a payless shoe we don't think we're very valuable we think we're a cheap mock mock imitation Sometimes we feel like we would be better if we were a different shoe. And so often we find ourselves, we are harsher on ourselves than we are on other people. Often we are our biggest critic. So today I want to talk about community. I want to talk about Christian community. I want to talk about living together in community. But I can't talk about that until we talk about treating ourselves better. Showing a little bit more kindness to ourselves. I love this definition of spiritual formation by Robert Mulholland. I've read it before, where he says, spiritual formation is a process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. For the sake of others. See, you and I, we're on this process of transformation, this process of renewal, not just for ourselves so we feel better for about ourselves, so we have more confidence, more security. We're on this journey for the sake of other people. There are other people that are waiting for our restoration, that are waiting for our wholeness, because they will be the recipient. Spiritual formation is so that we can love God and love others, but also so we can love ourselves. But there's a big problem that we fall into, and oftentimes our ability to engage in authentic community is actually governed by our ability to love ourselves. I think most of you have heard about Brené Brown. Brené Brown is probably one of the most popular voices on the topic of shame. I think her TED Talk was viewed more than any other TED Talk in history. She's a professor at University of Houston, and she says that we can only love others as much as we love ourselves. In other words, our degree, our ability to connect with other people will be dependent on our ability to connect to ourselves. If you have a hard time connecting with other people, it could be. It could be because you have a hard time connecting to yourself. The book of Matthew backs this up. Matthew in, Matthew in chapter 22, verse 39 says, Love your neighbor as yourself. You can't love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. Now, I can say this with confidence that this quote is true because I spent a big part of my own life dealing with shame and neglect and embarrassment and wishing I was a different shoe in the store. The very thing that I needed most was community, but I limited myself because of a barrier called shame. I think we quite frequently fall into that trap, that feeling of shame that says, there's something so wrong with me I gotta hide. I can't be honest. See, for many people like myself, you don't form proper community. And like Adam and Eve, what you do is you, instead of forming community, you find yourself hiding. It's interesting in Genesis when God, after Adam and Eve sinned, 
and God looks for them. And God walks through the garden after they sin, and God cries out to him. He says, where are you? Adam and Eve don't respond with an answer. Instead, what Adam says, he says, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. He never answers the question. But he says he was naked and he was ashamed. It's an interesting situation because here you have Adam. He's placed into this garden where everything is perfect. He has every single thing that he needs. He lacks nothing. He has an intimate relationship with God. And God is so concerned for Adam that God looks at Adam one day and says, you don't have enough. I need to give you more. And so he gives him Eve. I think sometimes God has a reputation of holding back too much. Sometimes people think he holds back. Now, can you imagine if you're Adam in the garden, you have every single thing that you need, and then God one day says, no, you need more. See, that's the kind of God that we serve, the God that looks for us and says, you need more, he will give you what he needs. So God gives Eve to Adam. They have this wonderful life, this beautiful life. They live in this paradise. There's no sin, there's no sickness, there's no shame, there's no suffering, there's no tears. Just one little restriction. Just avoid one tree. It doesn't seem to be too much. So how do you think that we, the Bible, would describe Adam and Eve living in this utopia? You think they would use words like it was the most joyful experience or, or it was thrilling or it was exciting. You'd expect some big adjective like that to describe their experience in the garden where everything's perfect between their relationship with God and with each other. But how does the Bible describe their experience? It says they were naked and felt no shame. That is a description the Bible is going to give to us to say this is the best life can be, that you are naked and there's actually no shame at all. That's not really what you'd expect the Bible to do to describe this utopia situation where everything is perfect. See, the first time... <laughs> no problem, Lori. <laughs> thought you'd be more excited about this message. So the first time the Bible, so this in Genesis is the first time the word naked is mentioned in the Bible. And it's an interesting word because it's mentioned a hundred times throughout scripture. And so when you look at the word naked, you have to kind of look at the context that it's talked about because it can mean anything from uh, vulnerable to, uh, to, to uh, from purity all the way to humiliation or to judgment. But in Genesis 2, verse 25, the first time this word naked is used, it's to describe people that were completely known by God. People that had nothing to hide. People that had no embarrassment. People that were incredibly dependent on God for everything. And on top of that, there was no reason to hide. That's the Bible's definition of a beautiful relationship is when you have no shame, nothing to hide, nothing to, uh, to worry about. That's the definition that it will give to us. But yet, Adam and Eve, we find them hiding. Now, in the Hebrew text, it's interesting because Adam and Eve are hiding. We know what they did. They quickly made cloths to put around their waist and cover their bodies. And you look at that scripture and you wonder, why did they cover those parts of their body? 
They didn't sin in that area. The Hebrew words are right. They covered the area around their waist. And you kind of wonder sometimes, why did they cover that area? That area of their life didn't sin. Why didn't they cover their hands or their mouth? That's actually where they sinned. I've often wondered why they covered that area. Until about a year ago, I was listening to Dr. Kurt Thompson. He's a famous Christian psychiatrist that specializes in the field of neurobiology. And he raised the same question, why did they cover that parts of themselves? And I like his answer. He said, when we experience shame, our first reaction is to cover the parts of ourselves that are different from others, and then we hide. That's typically what we do when we experience shame. We cover the parts of ourselves that are different from other people, and then we hide. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. They covered what was different from each other, and then they went and hid. I think many of you have heard the quote that says, you are only as sick as your cigarettes. In other words, your cigarettes will always hold you back. And why is that? It's because we don't have the capacity to hide and heal both at the same time. You can either hide or you can be healthy, but it's hard to do them both at the same time. Somebody needs to know your story. Somebody needs to know your shame story. Not everybody. It's actually wisdom that everybody doesn't know. But somebody needs to know the things that you're hiding. Now, it seems like it would be pretty easy to be honest. It seems like it should be easy just to sit down with people and say, hey, this is what's going on. This is what I did wrong. This is what I'm struggling with. But often it is the hardest thing. And the reason it is so hard is because we get worried, what if a person listens to my story and they won't love me or they won't accept me? And then what I do? Or we worry, what's people's reaction going to be to me? They might look at me and say, well, why are you dealing with that? I thought you were a more mature Christian. Why would you be struggling with that? The truth is, and the hard reality is, somebody, some people will reject you for your story. But that's not a good reason to keep hiding. That actually just means you have to be careful who you talk to. But you should never hide because you worry about somebody's reaction. I love what King David says about his own secrets in Psalm 38, verse 4. David says, My guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sin. And a couple of verses later, he says, I am exhausted and I am completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. That doesn't sound like a good way to live. Doesn't sound like a good way to live with your secrets, and I think David expresses it extremely well. So why did Adam and Eve hide from God? Why would they hide from God when they have this wonderful relationship with going with God? They know they can be completely honest. The reason they hid is because they thought they knew what God's response was going to be. They thought God would be angry with them. They thought that God would be mad at them. Instead, God comes into the garden to show compassion. And ever since the garden, I think we all do that to one degree or the other. We think we can anticipate God's response to us. And just like Adam and Eve, that got them into big trouble. See, God did not expect perfection from Adam and Eve, and he does not expect perfection from any of us. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. 
What God expects from us is honesty. Listen to what King David said in Psalm 51. He said, For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Did you hear what David just said? He didn't say, God, you expected me to be perfect from the time I was born. No, he said, you expected me to be honest. That's one of the few guidelines that the Bible gives us from the Old Testament of what God is looking for. He's just simply looking for us to be open and honest and transparent. He just wants us to be honest. But see, God's desire is honesty. God's desire for the church is that we'd be a community of people that could be honest and transparent, and we could be honest while we listen to other people's stories. The problem that we run to is so often we think that God expects perfection from us, and then we begin to expect perfection from other people. That's not the way God planned for it to be. Now, because God expects honesty and not perfection, that is not your invitation to do whatever you want to do. Instead, that's your invitation to be vulnerable and to be honest and to acknowledge your brokenness just like everybody else in the world needs to do. You know, I think it's interesting so often that so often people get scared of churches. They get scared of churches because they find too much rejection in churches. And I think as a community, as a body of believers, there's nothing that I want more is that we are a church that can be honest with each other, but we can also show the compassion to other people that would come to our church, that we can listen to other people, that we do not judge people based on what they've done or what they would like to do or what they've done in the past. But we can be a church, like King David says, that we can be a church where people can find healing from the things that have bothered them. See, so often we teach and preach in church that we are saved by grace and faith. And we understand that, that our salvation is a gift from God. But it seems so often in church culture we can easily fall into the trap thinking we're saved by grace and faith, but then i got to continue the restoration of my life by striving and doing it on my own willpower. And that's the kind of church we want to be that acknowledges our brokenness, acknowledge the fact that we continue to need grace and faith even after we are saved. We need to be a community that exists for the sake of other people. See, a couple years ago, it was actually during the COVID situation, an Oxford professor uh, published a book that he, I think it was, it was called Friends. And in this book, he talked, he did a lot of research on friendships. And he came away with three astounding facts from his research. And number one, friendships aren't just nice to have, they're actually essential for your health. Through his research that he proved that friendships will have a greater impact on your life than right diet and exercise. That friendships have more of an impact on your health than anything else. And also that friendships require an investment that they need to be maintained. But honesty and vulnerability, that's not the end goal. 
The end goal isn't that you can just tell other people what's going on in your life, that you can be vulnerable and transparent. That is very good. We all want that. But God didn't stop with a question to Adam and Eve to say, where are you? His next question to them, I think, is a powerful one. In Genesis 3, verse 11, he looks at Adam and Eve and he says, who told you that you were naked? Who told you? Who told you that you were not valuable? Who told you there was something wrong with you? Who told you that you weren't good enough? Who told you that you were a mistake? Who told you that what you've done is so far wrong you can never be redeemed? That's the powerful question that God comes in in the book of Genesis. Who told you? It's interesting. Genesis 2 starts out with Adam and Eve and God have this perfect relationship. Everybody's open and honest and transparent, and there's perfect love. But by the time you get to the end of Genesis 3, the whole narration has changed. Now by the end of Genesis 3, you have people that desire to be loved, but they think the only way that I can be loved is if I'm not known. And ever since Genesis 3, we've had that problem. Is people want to be loved, but they're afraid if they're fully known that nobody will love them. And God steps into that situation and he says, now who told you that lie? Who tells you that lie? If I am open and honest and transparent, I will be rejected. See, the reason God comes in with that question is because he needs to break the cycle. It's a great thing to talk about your shame and your insecurities. That is great. We need to do that, probably more of that. But then there's a time that you need to respond to God when he says, now who told you all those lies that you're believing? Because there comes a point in our life that we have to stop entertaining the lies. We have to acknowledge the lies that we're hearing so we can reject them. Because the problem with these lies and the shames, they turn us into extremely controlling people. See, sin comes into our life and it opens our life and it gives us shame and it gives us fear. And then we got to figure out how are we going to manage our reputation? How are we going to manage our life? Because we don't want anybody else to figure out what's going on inside of me. I can't be open and I can't be honest. So what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to become a very controlling person so I can control the narrative of everything going on around me. A lot of times when you meet controlling people, all they are is people that are desperate to be loved. And they're so insecure of what's going on on the inside that they will do anything to manage what you think of them. I have a lot of experience in this. I have an accounting degree. I have an accounting degree. I have a bachelor's of science in accounting. I hate accounting. I suck at accounting. I'm dyslexic. On a good day, I don't know the difference between a six and a nine and a B and a D and a G and a K and an F, but I have an accounting degree. Why would anybody that hates accounting and is very dyslexic get an accounting degree? Now, one little reason was it avoided taking foreign languages. But the real reason I have an accounting degree is I thought that would look better. I thought people would respect me more having an accounting degree versus having a marketing degree that I wanted. 
I thought it would look better. I thought I would appear to be more masculine for people. I appeared I would look more successful if I had an accounting degree versus what I really wanted was a sociology degree mixed with marketing. But I had to control the narrative of what I thought other people would say about me. And see, God comes into those situations and says, who told you that lie? Who told you that? You would think I would have figured that out by the time I was a senior. You have to graduate with a 2.0 or higher in the, the business school that you're in. My, cheap, my accounting classes were the worst grades on my transcript. I was not going to graduate from Calvin because my grades at accounting were so low. Do you know the only reason I graduated? I took two marketing classes and got an A in them so I could pull my GPA up enough in the business school to graduate. But I, I stuck with accounting because I thought it would make me appear better. I think we all have little stories like that. Little things that we do that we do things because we want other people to like us more or think better of us. The truth is, a lot of us, we are just a pay less shoe. It doesn't really matter. But we try to dress it all up and pretend we're in a boutique and we can have everything working for us. You like that, don't you, Megan? <laughs> so I have Megan, she encourages me, she'll laugh. But see, so often our driving goal in our life is make sure nobody figures out who I truly am. Make sure nobody figures out exactly how I am and we can become extremely controlling people. If you take a step back from the Genesis story of Adam and Eve, you look back and see what happened, you'd see that they had to lie to each other, they had to lie to God, and then they lied to themselves all in this effort to control the narrative. See, the first thing is Adam and Eve, what they do, they lie to each other. They got out fig leaves, they dressed themselves up, and they looked at each other like, there's no problem. Everything's good. We do the exact same thing on social media. We just kind of pretend everything's different, give a different illusion to people. And then what Adam and Eve do, they hide from God as well. They think they can hide behind a tree and like he's never going to figure it out. I think a lot of times the reason we hide from God, we're embarrassed, but also we worry, does he even really care? We kind of wonder, is God actually going to do anything about it? I think that's what keeps us from hiding from God. And then the next thing you do, they had to lie to themselves. They had to go the blame game, and no, you did it, no, you did it, and they lied to themselves. But fortunately, we have a God that comes into the garden and says, where are you? And says to you, who is telling you these lies? I love Hebrews 4 verse 13. It says, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. That's a powerful verse. There is nothing hidden from God. He sees every single thing. Now that's powerful and it's terrifying at the same time. Because in woven into this verse is God is saying, you are accountable to every single thing that you have done. This is a problem. We are not right with God at all. If there was no verse 14, life would pretty much be over for all of us. 
But there is a verse 14. There is a verse 14. Yeah, it's okay, Megan. There is a verse 14 where God says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest is our understand. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Do you see what God just did there? He acknowledged the fact that you are sinful without him. But then he also welcomes us to receive his righteousness. See, the perfection is not necessary. It's the honesty because we come before God and for the great exchange. He takes our sin, our guilt, our shame, our condemnation. In return, he gives us his righteousness. And he does that so we don't have to focus on trying to be perfect. We'll never be perfect. Jesus understands that. He says, I'll give you my righteousness. You just focus on being honest with me. We are all broken people in one way or the other. The reason we can talk about our brokenness is because all broken people are made whole because of Christ's righteousness. There's no other way to find wholeness. There's no other way to find shalom. There's no other way to find healthy except through Christ's righteousness. So all of our brokenness is a level playing field. Nobody can be made better without Christ's righteousness. So why did God ask, who told you that you're naked? See, nakedness wasn't the big deal. That wasn't the big issue. The big issue is always, who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? See, we know from the narrative in Genesis 2 and 3 that it was the enemy. That the enemy came in and he lied to Adam and Eve and he got them to do things that they never wanted to do. And then he continued to give them shame and guilt and condemnation. See, naming our history of sin and our sin pattern is great. It's good to identify the sins in your life. It's good to confess your sins to each other and to pray for each other. It's good to be aware of the sins that you fall, that you are really tempted to do. But just by naming your sins, by confessing them, that does not always erase the trauma that is stored in your body because of your own sins. You can confess, you can repent, but so often your body will keep an imprint of trauma still on your soul. That needs to go away. The way you get rid of that imprint of trauma is by recognizing the lies that the enemy has said to you and rejecting the lies that the enemy has said to you and then experiencing the truth that God has for you. That is why God looked at Adam and Eve and said, who told you that lie? Because God wanted to see Adam and Eve restored. He wanted them to experience the shalom that they had in Genesis 1. 
And he knew that they would never experience the shalom that he had for them until they rejected the lies that the enemy said against God. That's why God comes in the garden and says, who told you? That's why God says to us each and every day, who told you that? Why do you believe that? This is the truth that I have for you. We as followers of Jesus Christ have the benefit of having the Holy Spirit in us. We have the benefit of having the Holy Spirit in us that leads us into all truths. That is the promise that the Holy Spirit gives to us, that he will lead us into all truths. And part of being led into truth is recognizing the lies that he's spoken to us. That's our opportunity to get free. But it just doesn't end with you and I. As we go back to Robert Mulholland's definition of spiritual formation, it's for the sake of other people. There's a lot of people that are believing lies. There's a lot of people that have experienced trauma from the enemy. And God has called us to be his agents of reconciliation. He's called us to be a church that we can be open and honest and transparent. That people will feel comfortable coming here and sharing what's going on in their life. That they don't have to be embarrassed, that they will be rejected or scorned. That's who he's calling us to be. But it's important for us to expose the lies that the enemy has spoken to us so that we can walk in the fullness of the healing and the restoration that God has for us. That's what God wants to do for us. Because God wants to do it for other people. And he wants to do it through us for other people. That's what God wants to do on your day, Cloris, weekend, Chad. He wants to be the God that comes in there to expose the lies that the enemy says to people and replace it to the truth. That's what the God wants to do with us is going into Covenant House. Opportunity to minister to 40 young men and women who are experiencing homelessness. Many of these young people at Covenant House are 18 and have no home. A lot of them were kicked out of their parents' house. Some of the kids at Covenant House simply aged out of the uh, foster care system. And when they turned 18 and their foster family stopped getting checks, they were out the door. We have an opportunity to go show love and compassion and kindness to a lot of people. And there's other opportunities. I know a lot of you are involved in other things. It doesn't, doesn't mean you have to be part of Covenant House. You need to go where the Spirit's leading you to go. But I think we need to take seriously God's question of saying, who told you that lie? That we can help other people see the lies that the enemy has told them. So they have the opportunity to reject that lie. See, the tricky thing about a lie is you normally don't know anybody's lying to you. You thought I would have caught on while I was in college at a county. It's just not a good thing for me. That doesn't seem like that would be that hard to figure out. But a tricky lie, it gets you to believe it. Sometimes the only way you know that you believe a lie is when you have other people step around you and they can help you see a lie. That's what we gotta do. That's what we get to do. That's what we get to do. We get to help people walk in truth. So God, I thank you for today. I thank you, Lord, that you have walked into every one of our lives and you've said to us, who told you that lie? 
God, I stand before you now, Lord, and we ask, Lord, that you would expose any lies any of us believe for our community gathered here or online, or maybe they're not even watching this week, that, Lord, you would expose the lies that we believe and that you would help us to find freedom from those lies. God, I'm asking, Lord, for radical deliverance to happen for each and every one of us, that we could be free from every single lie that the enemies told us and that we can walk into the truth that you have for us that sets us free. God, we love you so much and we thank you for your son. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you that we have Christ's righteousness. Lord, would you help us to be people that focus on being honesty and deliver us from thinking that we have to be people that focus on perfection and being controlling. God, would you move among us, Lord, even as we close with this last song, that you would minister to each one of us and that you would show us truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.